Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Abby and I am the host. This week we are going over the second part of the book of Matthew. I'm going to hop right into it because this is a really good book. If you haven't listened to the part one from last week, go back and do that and then come join us for part two. But we are going over Jesus's ministry, a lot of parables, and his death and resurrection. So enjoy the episode, everyone. Okay, so like I said, we're starting with Matthew 14. This whole section of the Bible talks about like what happened to John the Baptist and then Jesus's rest of his ministry, death and resurrection. So in Matthew 14, it starts out with Herod hearing about Jesus and saying, oh, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he has these miraculous powers because it's John the Baptist resurrected. And so it does a little flashback and says what happened to John the Baptist, which was Herod had wanted John the Baptist dead because he had told him, he had told Herod that he should not be with his brother's wife, that it was like against God's law. And so Herod did not like that. And he wanted John the Baptist dead. But after um, Herodias danced and pleased Herod, um, he said, oh, anything that you want, anything that will please you, you know, will, I'll give to you anything that you want because it, your dance was so pleasing. So, um, she was influenced by her mom to say that John the Baptist, she wanted John the Baptist's head on a platter. So he had already made this promise. And so he made John the Baptist beheaded in prison and they brought his head on a platter. So that was like, a flashback of why John the Baptist is dead. Now Herod thinks that John the Baptist has resurrected and that's who Jesus is. Then it shows uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, the group of 5,000. He he had come and there was like a whole crowd and his disciples said, hey, tell everyone to go home. Like they need to go buy food and eat food and stuff. It's getting dark. And Jesus said, well, how much food do we have? There were five loaves and two fish. And, um, they started splitting up and dividing the food and um, they had tons of leftovers. Everyone got fed and there was tons of leftovers. So that was a miraculous, you know, miraculous provisions were provided with the five loaves and two fish. Then it goes over the story where Jesus walks on water. Peter starts walking out on the water because, you know, he's like, faithful but then he starts looking at the waves instead of Jesus there's a ton of sermons about this how like if you're looking at the storm or whatever instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus you'll start to sink so he started to sink and then um Jesus called him you of little faith because he didn't have enough faith that Jesus was going to sustain him on the water okay then Matthew 15 um is Matthew 15 is very can hit you right in the gut if you um, have any similarities to the Pharisees and Sadducees and stuff because uh, he says these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship in vain their teachings are merely human rules so he's calling out the rules of the Pharisees and Sadducees who keep accusing him of stuff and you know 
there's just they're just hypocrites essentially um then a canaanite woman begs to heal her demon-possessed daughter and it's a he said woman you have great faith and heals the daughter and then there's another feeding miracle which i didn't actually realize there were two i mean i think i at one point realized there were two but i always forget like because you always hear about feeding the five thousand with the five loaves and two fish but there's also another one in Matthew 15, where they feed 4,000 with seven loaves and just a few small fish. And they, again, get baskets of leftovers and everyone is fed. Matthew 16, the Sadducees and Pharisees are asking for a sign. They keep asking for signs. And they say, okay, you look at normal, like, nature signs, like red sky in the morning. He basically references red sky in the morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. <laughs> Um, that whole thing, which I talked about in the Farmer's Almanac, which is funny. But he said, you trust signs like that to to tell you what nature is going to do, what tomorrow's weather is going to do. But you don't trust, you, you can't determine sign of the times. And he said, none will be given except for Jonah spent, again, he mentions Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish, came out. So will I spend three nights, days and nights in the belly of the earth and then we'll raise again. Um, and then Jesus says to be on guard against the teachings of the Sadducees and Pharisees um, because they are just, again, human rules. They say, he says, watch out for these. Then Simon Peter, one of the disciples, Jesus asks, like, who am I? And he says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And then he said, okay, Jesus says, that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but through me. Like, no one told him that answer. God revealed it to him. And so he says, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. So Catholics believe that Peter was the first pope because of this. He was the rock of the church. So he was the first pope, and then the popehood kind of got passed down from him. Um, okay, then... Jesus starts predicting his death. This is very interesting. Remember, Jesus had just told Peter that he was the rock in which he'll build his church. Then, as he's predicting his death, Peter says, this will never happen to you. And God immediately, or Jesus immediately goes, get behind me, Satan. So, um, the switch there is very large. I mean, he's still the rock that he's going to build his church. But even then, like, even some of the best humans ever are so fallible that he immediately was like this will never happen to you and then Jesus said get behind me Satan he said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it again flipping the script on traditional conventional logic Matthew 17 is the transfiguration of Jesus so um, he was transfigured before James and John there were Moses and Elijah were both there talking with Jesus. So like his face became bright and God kind of came down and the voice said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Um, he said, don't tell anyone until I have been raised from the dead about this whole transfiguration thing. And the Elijah that was coming to lead the way was John the Baptist. This is all revealed to the disciples. Um, then there's this whole part where, you know, God had given the authority to the disciples to like go drive out demons and go heal people. And the disciples couldn't drive out a demon from a boy, but Jesus did. And they were like, why couldn't we drive out the demon? And he said, you have little faith. 
if you have the faith of this mustard seed, you can move this mountain. So he basically was saying like, your faith is not strong enough to do this. You don't believe you can, you don't believe in the power that you possess through him, you know? So they are still kind of struggling sometimes with their faith. And this is where that mustard seed famous verse comes from. So then Jesus starts predicting his death again. And then the, um, there's a temple tax that's due and Peter needs to pay the temple tax. And Jesus, this is another miraculous thing where basically God will provide for them. He said, go catch a fish and you will find a coin in its mouth to pay the tax. So he does that. He finds a coin and he pays the tax. Okay, Matthew 18 is a big talk about like humility and taking kind of the position of a child. So it says, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If anyone causes these little ones to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone hung around their neck. This is also the section of scripture where it says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Now, some people definitely take this literally. There's like some cults and minor little groups that will literally do that or gouge out your eye if you know, it causes you to sin. This is more of a symbolic thing. I mean, I, the, the message is clear. Like y you need to cut off sin. Basically. I don't think God actually wants you to maim yourself, but, um, some people definitely do that. Uh, then in this section also, there's the parable of the wandering sheeps, which oh, sheep, <laughs> which, uh, there's a herd of a hundred, one wanders off, and the shepherd, it says, will not the shepherd go and find the one and bring him back? And it is um, meaning that if you wander off, God cares enough about you to go find you and bring you back. There is then the parable about the unmerciful servant, which honestly, this is the, my favorite parable ever. I think it says... I think it's guided me in many, many situations in life because there are so many situations where you can think that something is really unfair, but if you just go back to what was agreed upon or, you know, if you just look at this parable, it's like the, it applies in a lot of situations actually that you may not think of, but I remember reading this like, th I don't know, several, several years ago and I think about it like so often it applies in so many situations. So basically what happens in this parable is that there's a servant. Oh, this isn't even the one. Whoops. Well, the other parable is, is coming. But this one, the unmerciful servant, there's a servant that's in debt and he begs to sh that his um, master will show mercy. He's like, please, please, you know, forgive my debt. So the uh, master canceled the debt. He was very merciful. But then someone was in debt to him. And they begged him to cancel the debt. And he said, no, I'm not canceling your debt. And that guy was uh, put in jail, I think, until the debt was paid. So the, the one who had just had his debt canceled was not merciful enough to cancel the other man's debt. So then the original merciful master heard about this and said, like, you were shown mercy you didn't show any mercy to the next person essentially so he was put in jail and tortured until the debt was paid so god forgive us all of our sins who are we really to not forgive someone who sinned against us is the point of that parable okay matthew 19 
Um, Pharisees came to him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them men, male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. Then the Pharisees said, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man gave his wife a certificate of divorce and sent her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not the way from the beginning. I tell you that from that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So, it talks about like your hearts were so hard that Moses gave guidelines for what to do because the hearts were so hard that it's not your, like you're following God anyway. So, here's at least some process to do it. Um, but divorce is not the original plan or a good plan. Um, then he talks about how it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because a lot of people won't give up their money or prioritize their money for the kingdom. Matthew 20. Okay, this is the parable that I reference all the time in my mind, like I go back to. So, Essentially, the kingdom is like servants who agreed on a price and then, well, let me just go over the whole parable. So someone comes and he said, can I work in your field for, let's say, $5? And the guy says, yes, I'll pay you $5 to work uh, from like eight to five. And the guy says, okay, perfect. He goes out to the field, he works, blah, blah, blah. Well, at, and this is like 8 a.m. Then at noon, another guy comes and he says, can I work in your field? He says, yes, I'll give you $5 to work from now until five. Now the first guy comes back and says, this is unfair because I worked from eight to five for $5 and you just gave $5 to someone working like half the time. And the original guy or the, you know, the guy paying for the work in the fields says, we agreed on $5 and I can do with my money whatever I want. So if I want to give $5 and be generous to the next guy, it's not jipping you because we agreed on $5. I don't know how that is applied to so much in my life, but I literally think about that like probably once a week, this specific parable, because I feel like the world is just always telling you that something's not fair. Something's not fair. You're getting ripped off or something. It's like, no, we agreed on this. You are getting what you fulfilled and people can be generous with their own money however they want. Um, after that, Jesus predicts his death a third time and says whoever must become great in the kingdom must first be a slave. Um, the son of man came to serve, not to be served. And then Jesus heals two blind men. Okay, Matthew 21. Um, Jesus sends out disciples ahead, ahead and says, like... You'll find a donkey and a colt, bring it here, and then he'll ride into the town. And this is like the first Palm Sunday. So if you've been to a Catholic Palm Sunday, I keep referencing Catholics, but I think it's the same for a lot of these more like traditional like Lutherans and stuff. Someone comment below or leave me a DM if that is true. But um, this is the first Palm Sunday. So Jesus is riding in on a colt as everyone praises him. Uh, then, like, right after, Jesus drives everyone out of the temple courts because he's making the they're making the house of prayer a den of robbers. And this is, like, the classic 
example of righteous anger some people just paint jesus as like this happy-go-lucky sheep like so soft and gentle and stuff but he got angry at right like there was some righteous anger so not all anger is bad um which i think people sometimes twist that like anger is always bad he was angry and drove people out of the temple Okay, then he healed the blind and the lame at the temple. Children were worshiping him, which fulfilled a prophecy about, like, the children worshiping the Messiah. Jesus was hungry and saw a fig tree with no fruit, and he cursed it, and the tree immediately withered. And so the chief priests and elders saw this and asked, like, by what authority do you do this? And then Jesus asked a question back and said, was John's baptism by heaven or human origin and this is a catch-22 answer because basically if they say that the baptism was by heaven and they say like you know then why don't you believe this because it's clearly by heaven and you're like a hypocrite but if they say human then they're he's calling them fake and then people will be angry at them so they just didn't answer and left him alone um then there's a parable of two sons so they both say that they're going to go, or sorry, one son says he will not go work in the fields, but then he ends up working in the fields. The other son says he will go to work in the fields, but then does not. And like, he's basically saying it's better for the person that says, oh, I will not go. And then he ended up working same way in the same way, tax collectors, tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom if they have believed and repented. So a lot of people just looked down on these prostitutes and tax collectors and thought they were like the trash of society. And Jesus was saying like, no, they're not. All you have to do is repent. It doesn't matter. Um, like it's better to be a, ta a prostitute and repent than a Pharisee and believe these human teachings and lies and not repent. The kingdom in Matthew 22 is described like a king who prepared a banquet. There was a huge banquet that was ready, but everyone who got invited did not come. So they just went out to anyone on the street and said, like, anyone can come to this banquet. So it's like the people that th that people think are deserving to go to this banquet, like the Sadducees and Pharisees, they missed the boat on the message on the banquet. But the people, again, like the tax collectors and prostitutes get to go. The Pharisees tried to trap him by saying, um, so you don't get swayed by others. You're not supposed to like get swayed. So what about taxes? What do you do? Because that's like being swayed by the government. And he said, show me a coin. Uh, and it had Caesar's picture on the gold coin. And he said, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, give to God what is God or what is God's. Um, then he talks about how marriage is irrelevant at the resurrection. Like they try to ask him, Hey, what if this guy has been married, you know, seven times who will be his wife in heaven? And he's like, that's irrelevant. You're kind of missing the point on the whole resurrection. Uh, he says that the greatest commandments are to love your God with your soul and mind. Uh, second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus asked the Pharisees then, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And then they answered, the son of David. And then Jesus said, how is it then that David calls him Lord? If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And the Pharisees were stumped. They, they kind of realized, like, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just hurling accusations. Matthew 23 talks about how 
the Pharisees don't practice what they preach instead of just doing things because it's right or because that's the law. They do things for everyone to see. So they're getting their full reward. It said, do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven. Then he talks about these seven woes on the teachers of the law. One is, let's see, uh, it says, woe to those who shut the door of the kingdom for heaven in people's faces who travel over land and sea to win a convert. And when you succeed to make them twice as much of a child as hell. Oh my gosh, I read that terribly. You travel over land and sea to win a convert. And when you succeed, you make them twice as much of a child of hell as you are. You take oath on a God. You take oath on the gold of a temple, you fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You give a tenth, but you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Clean the outside of the temple, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You are whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead bones on the inside. You build tombs for prophets. If we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding of blood of the prophets. So like, basically he says you would have been the ones that killed the prophets, even though you now pretend like you aren't. He said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, I'm sending prophets and teachers. Some of you will kill and crucify So this is a whole chapter about him calling out all the things wrong with the Pharisees, which is pretty on brand. Uh, Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple and said to his disciples that not one stone will be left on another of that temple. The, and then the disciples, because he's talked about the end of the age a few times. And so the disciples are asking when the end of the age will actually happen. And he doesn't give like, really like a straight answer he just says many will come in my name claiming they are the messiah and you will be hated because of me he then talks about the time of tribulation and how it will come very quickly and when you see things like wars and famine you'll know that the time is near because that's basically like the birthing pains of the end of the age but the day and the hour is unknown so only the father knows not even jesus really knows the end of the age he says Okay, so that brings us to Matthew 25, and Matthew 25 says that the coming of the Lord is like the parable of the virgins, where five went out and were unprepared, and then five were prepped when the bridegroom came. Some people will be unprepared for the coming of the Lord. Then he says that there's a parable of bags of gold. So there are some people, or there's one person with five bags of gold, and he went out and invested and got more. Someone had two bags of gold invested and got more, and then there was one person who only got one bag of gold, but didn't go out, didn't invest it, and just buried it. Um, And the person who just buried it got, like, shamed, basically. You're supposed to go out and invest more, which is talking about how you should be spreading the gospel. Um, Then there was a parable about sheep and goats. At the end, people will be separated like sheep and goats. Um, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And the per- people who did not live for Jesus get att- uh, condemned to an eternal fire. Which is pretty dark, but it is very important that we spread the gospel. Okay, Matthew 26, Jesus talks about how he will be handed over on Passover in two days. And people were scheming and arresting... Uh, or people were scheming to arrest and kill Jesus... Jesus was at Simon the leper's house for dinner and women 
and this woman poured expensive oil on him and the disciples condemned her like hey that's worth so much money you could have given it to the poor or whatever and Jesus said you know she has done a beautiful thing she did it to prepare me for burial so he keeps pre predicting or prophesying I guess his death Judas one of his disciples then agrees to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver which is also a prophecy that's fulfilled it's also prophesied that the um silver that he buys it with would not be used but we'll get to that prophecy later okay so the festival of unleavened bread which we've talked about a few times before in the old testament is jesus's last supper so he gathers with his disciples to eat that supper and jesus predicted there that someone will betray him and calls out judas at the dinner i forgot that he calls him out at the dinner like you see the old the last supper statues and i think or you know statues and murals and things and it looks like everyone's having a great time i think they usually kind of pick out judas um but i forgot that he like calls him out by name okay then jesus and the disciples go to gethsemane which is a garden and jesus prays three times basically saying like i don't want to do this but if it's your will then i will take it and do it and after you know three times of praying and returning to the disciples and things judas arrived with a crowd and arrested jesus then peter was asked three times if he knew jesus or was like associated with jesus and he denied jesus three times which jesus told peter he was going to do he said you'll deny me three times before the crow sings or whatever and peter was asked three times after jesus's arrest like hey i think i saw you with that man and peter three times says no okay matthew 27 judas hangs himself because he regretted his decision and tried to return the silver but as i was mentioning before they couldn't use the money for the temple because it was considered blood money because he was betraying Jesus and their blood was now going to be on, on the money. And so they bought a field fulfilling a prophecy about this blood field. Um, okay, then also in this one, Jesus stood before the governor and he asked, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. So he was charged, but he gave no answer. So the custom at the time was at this time of the year, like during this festival, they would release a prisoner instead of hanging them or crucifying them. And they chose to release, the whole crowd chose to release Barabbas instead of um, releasing Jesus, even though he was innocent. So Pilate, Pontius Pilate, was like in charge, the governor at the time. And he washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. And he, you know, according to the rules and tradition, he had to hand him over, but he knew that Jesus was innocent. The soldiers then stripped him, put thorns on his head, put, like, mocked him like he was the king of the Jews. Um, and then Simon was forced to carry Jesus's cross up the hill. And um then it kind of skips over like the details of the actual crucifixion in this one but they said after crucifying him they divided his clothes by casting lots and they put a sign over his head saying this is the jews or this is jesus king of the jews so he was mocked on the cross he was mocked like from the people on the ground and the people hanging with him on the cross at 3 p.m., he looked up and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And someone tried to give him a drink on a sponge. Like, they put up a sponge on a big stick to have him drink. 
but he was nearing the end of his life there. And then he died shortly after that, and at the moment he died, a curtain of the temple was torn in half, tombs broke open, and many people were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And at that moment, a lot of people knew they had messed up and tried to kill the, or, and had killed the Son of God. Okay, so, then people started saying to the governor, like, we need to secure his tomb because his disciples said he was going to raise from the dead, and so they might try to come steal his body, and so they tried, they secured the tomb and put guards in front of it um, for three days. In Matthew 28, Mary and the other, there was two Marys, <laughs> and they both went out to the tomb. There was a very violent earthquake, and an angel came to them, um, sat on the stone and like rolled back the stone and the guards were super afraid but the angel said to the women do not be afraid he has risen go tell the disciples he is going to Galilee Jesus then met them and they worshiped him once they saw that he had in fact been risen and then guards went into the city and reported what had happened but the chief priest didn't want this to get out and so they paid them off to say that some of the disciples came to steal the body which it said that some of the disciples, uh, or it said that that story had kind of been circulating since then. And then also it said that even though Jesus did like uh, appear to some of the disciples, they still couldn't get over like their earthly minds. They still, some, some of them doubted. So at the end of this book, Jesus gave the great commission to go teach and obey what he commanded. And that is where Matthew ends, is the Great Commission. So, Matthew is clearly jam-packed. It is a great book. A lot happens. And we'll get into some more details that Matthew kind of skips over um, in the other Gospels because each one kind of highlights different things. So, that is the book of Matthew. I hope you enjoyed it. And I will be back next week on Monday for an episode. But that will be after Christmas, so I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. And I will talk about all the New Year's stuff next week. So have a great Christmas, everyone. Bye.